0: Series 5 of In Suspense, a podcast and vodcast for fans and writers of crime fiction. I'm Leslie Cara and my co-host is Lauren North.
1: Hello and welcome to our mini-sodes episodes with writer and psychologist Philippa East. Hello Philippa. Hello, hello. Philippa is the author of psychological suspense novels Little White Lies, which was shortlisted for the CWA New Blood Dagger Award and her latest release, Safe and Sound. Alongside her writing, Philippa works as a clinical psychologist. So each of these episodes is going to be about 10 minutes long and focuses on the issues that most of us face um, at some point during
0: our writing life. So uh, let's get cracking. Hello and welcome to our final minisode. Gosh, they've been so useful and I'm really, really sad they're ending, Um, but today Philippa is going to talk to us about boosting our well-being across everything we've been talking about so far, so encompassing all those topics we've had in, in the previous minisodes.
1: Yes, and it's not just for authors really, um, but since we are authors, we've called it author well-being, but it is it's just general well-being as well. So um we, we may have some more listeners joining us. Um well thank you, Philippa, for being here again. Um, I, my first question is um, looking at what we've talked about across all the minisodes, um, We've had some real key issues that are so unique to authors. One thing we've not mentioned um, is how passionate we are about our work. Um, we love what we do most of the time, but we have no fixed working hours. Um, and it does mean that we can find ourselves working all the time, especially when checking social media. We've taught, we have mentioned that, actually, haven't we? And reading proofs is all part of our job. So how do we create a better work-life balance for our author well-being? Mm,
2: yeah, and, and uh, like it's really nice to say that, actually, isn't it? That we actually do love a lot of what we do because we've talked about all the problems and the pressures and the challenges. <laughs> but actually, it's really lovely to just... You know, to say that as well you know um you, you've got to love it don't you because otherwise the challenges would would put you off too much but yeah i think i think that's a double-edged sword in that we can spend a lot of our a lot of our week doing something that we really enjoy and that we really love but it could also mean we don't think to set any kind of um stopping point we just kind of roll it all in because it's kind of a hobby and a passion and a love and a relaxation activity all at once so i mean i have this problem as well and You know, my my husband is often like, Why are you still doing that? And I'm like, because I'm enjoying it. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm so tired and frazzled. (laughs) Um, so I think maybe a really again practical way of thinking about this is thinking about all the different types of activities and tasks that we might do as writers. And obviously, that goes from literally working on your manuscript and writing your word count for the day to promo activities, putting together this podcast that you guys are doing, to, let like you say, reading a proof or just reading books in general, uh, listening to podcasts, um, w- you know, whatever it might be. And there might be some of those activities which genuinely you just quite purely enjoy and they don't tend to cause you stress, they don't tend to kind of, keep you up at night ruminating you know once once you stop them they are just things that you you really just purely enjoy and I think those things we maybe don't necessarily need to worry so much about being boundaryed about it's like you know I I always read before I fall asleep at night and I just love it and I'm never going to stop that I did it before I wrote and I will always continue to do it but there also might be tasks and I think there's obvious tasks that we do get quite good at switching off from. So it's like most of us probably don't you know, start our writing day and then just carry on till midnight. Most of us will be like, right, I'm going to do my writing and finish at this time. Because we know that that task is quite difficult and challenging and we can't be doing it nonstop. But I think sometimes there's tasks in the middle which are enjoyable, but can also be quite hard work. And that might include things like posting on social media. And we often think that, oh, they're just fun stuff that I enjoy doing. So I'll do them whenever and I'll just do that late at night and I'll do it the weekends and I'll do it blah, all the time. But actually they, they are a bit, um, you know, they, they, they do take a bit of effort and they do take, I mean, they get us thinking about stuff that's more worrisome. So I think being able to identify these different categories and then being really mindful about which ones need um, some boundaries. And I, I, I'm pretty, I am pretty boundary, And I think that partly comes from the understanding, again, something we've talked about the whole way along in these episodes, that the threats that we come into contact with today in in the modern world are are generally psychological. They're not physical. Then it's not that the lion's either there or it's not there. Where I'm either under threat or I'm just not under threat. And it's really clear cut. There's a physical difference between the lion being there and the lion not being there. With psychological threats, there's kind of, there's no boundary to it. It's all just in our head that can be there at any old time. We can think about something at any point during the day. So what can be really important is having physical boundaries to help create the psychological boundaries. It's very hard to create the psychological boundaries by themselves just by like i won't think about that it's almost impossible so physical boundaries really help so my some examples of my physical boundaries are i don't have internet in my writing room that's just because my internet doesn't work in my writing room (laughs) but actually i find that quite helpful i can't get distracted by the internet because it's not in the writing room um Ever since I started on Twitter, I don't go on Twitter after 7pm, except some very, very odd exceptions where there's, you know, there's something very particular that I need to post or something at a certain time. But I just don't go on Twitter after 7 And again, I think of that as a cutoff in in my, because I think of Twitter as part of my working life. And I just say that it doesn't have to be 7pm. It can be, you can put whatever cutoff you want But I think just having a cutoff that says these these times I I, I don't go on. Um, I also now have a day off from writing each week. And my husband's kind of like put their foot down about that because because I again, I was like, but I really enjoy it. I love writing. And they were like, yeah, but you just seem so tired all the time. So so now on a Saturday, I generally have that as a writing free day, even though I, I could write. And I also think with social media in particular, I think really carefully about the reason that I go on, so I tend to not just go on to just randomly scroll. Um, I usually go on to either check my notifications and reply to what I need to do, to post, or I mean, sometimes I, sometimes I do go on just to be like, is there any news in the writing community? But I try not to do that too much because otherwise it's just this this free floating you mean where where's the stopping point with checking notifications once they've all been replied to then you can stop with putting a post up you put the post up then you can stop but just going on social media there's no natural end point to that so I think being very mindful about your purpose of going on and ideally having a purpose of going on so once you've achieved that purpose you come off again.
0: So you say, Philippa, that you don't look at Twitter after or generally don't look at Twitter after 7 p.m. Does that mean that you don't look at your phone after that time? Do you do you have your phone in your bedroom? For instance, I I'm quite addicted to my phone. Um, I'm sure we all are in in our own ways. And um, I tend to listen. I'm trying to wean myself off them a little bit, but I tend to listen to podcasts at night. They help me go to sleep um and I so I have my I have my phone right next to my bed and although I don't want to look at social media because I'm listening to my podcasts and I get a notification or I see my phone <laughs> sort of light up I can't stop myself looking do you think it's best not to have the phone in the bedroom at all is that is that what, what I should do? this is yeah
2: this is touching on something so important and I think if you aren't aware of this already it's really important to know that Apps, including social media, all sorts of other apps as well, or um, well, particularly social media, they're designed to be addictive. They're specifically built that way. So um, when people are kind of like, God, why do I find it so hard to not check my notifications? It's because it's exactly built that way so that you will. And the reason for that is basically the more time you spend on social media, the more time you're looking at adverts, and adverts are how social media companies get paid. So it's in the interest of the social media company to base – They're basically mining your attention to get money from advertising companies that's really useful to know so knowing that the natural way that these um apps are set up is designed to keep you hooked in so you're just saying oh i'll just try and not check it it's not going to work you're up against a massive corporation that is designed to get you hooked in I'm not don't sound like too much like a weird conspiracy theorist it's just the facts of how this stuff is built so um, i don't have a smartphone phone actually um I do I oh, know oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so what do you have then like like a, a Nokia 360 you it, I can go and fetch it if you want but yeah okay. I basically have an old-fashioned Nokia that basically operates for text and phone uh phone calls and not a lot else I do have an iPad so my I, if I'm going to, you know, I I can find myself again getting a bit sucked in because an iPad operates in the same way as a smartphone. The only difference is I don't take it out with me. So that obviously means that uh, I don't walk around with my iPad same way as people walk around with their phones so it's generally it's something that I will go on and go and have a look at what I want to do on the iPad and then I put it down again I'm not I'm not recommending that everyone gets rid of their smartphones I know that that's not realistic and that's that's way more extreme but uh, there's definitely some things that you can do
0: that would be like having a limb amputated (laughs) (laughs) you're so self-disciplined I'm in awe
2: (laughs) I I I would say I've always been a technical Luddite, that's partly what it is. <laughs> uh, but I'm kind of like, I feel like it's like a defense against the dark arts though. Um, but what it would, what you can do is you can definitely, you can set your smartphone up to counteract the way that the, the apps are designed. So two things that I would definitely recommend, turn off notifications. You don't need to know every time a notification on Twitter comes in, you're going to go and check Twitter at some point and you'll find the notification. There's no urgency to notifications on Twitter. There's also no urgency to notifications on Facebook. It's not like you have to get on and answer the message or, or or see who's liked your tweet. So turn, the only things I have notifications for are email, because actually, you know, there might be, you know, a kind of important email that's come in that, that I want to need to respond to. Um, and like, I have like one messaging service that gets, um, alerts because that's the way my sister and my family will often contact me. So it's like making sure I can hear the phone, but I don't have notifications otherwise, because that notification is exactly the thing that is about the addiction. It's basically someone going to an alcoholic, want a beer, want a beer, want a beer, want a beer oh, how do you resist that? And it's red. Red is the color of danger. It's the most obvious color to make us pay attention to things. So turn off your notifications on all the apps that you can. The other thing that I often suggest doing is moving those apps that you find it hardest to stay off onto like the second page or make one of those little subfolders and put the apps in there. So it's not, you know, you can't just be like click, you have to scroll to find the app and that will just make more distance for you to think, do I need to check it right now? I could just not check it. So just having those physical, you know, those physical, physical pings and the physical access to it um, in terms of having in your bedroom. I mean, I think I think, let's say if you do those things of turning off your notifications um, and move, moving some of those apps, you know, you can probably listen to a podcast without being pinged in the middle of it.
0: Yes, and I've tried to start now um, developing a new habit of listening to podcasts when I'm doing my ironing or something boring like that. Mm, And mm. and then I've got something interesting to listen to and reading more at night because Mm. I was worried I wasn't reading as much as I should and got into a bit of a reading slump. So I am trying to stop doing that at night. Um, and also I find that sometimes I cannot get to sleep unless I've got my earbuds in listening to something and that's not good either is it we need to be able to fall asleep naturally I think
2: yeah I mean I think actually in some ways listening to a podcast isn't necessarily a bad way to get to sleep it's like I would often advise people to listen to the I mean the radio is a bit kind of old-fashioned now but I might say you know put a gentle radio program on it's quite it can be quite soothing depending on how kind of keyed in we are but sometimes just to you know, a nice podcast in the background, is not bad. I think the issue is more like you say, if your phone is going, lighting up, of course you can't fall asleep because that, that again, just means that your brain is plugged in the whole time. So I think turning off the notifications, if you can put your phone out of the bedroom, that's even better against a physical separation when we know that mental separation is hard, but at the very least turn the notifications off. Yeah. Definitely. I
1: would say I do have my notifications off. So I feel like I've got a little gold star now. Um, You find it um, it makes a difference. Yeah, it definitely does, especially at the weekends. Like I don't do I don't I rarely go on social media at the weekends. Um, And also because my phone battery is so old now, I have to have it plugged in charge all the time. So it generally is on charge from seven at night in the kitchen and I just leave it. I don't go near it after that. So um, yeah, I, I do all right on those things,
2: probably not on everything else. Um, <laughs> Sounds like the solution is shit technology, basically. Shit technology yes. is the way to like not let the, <laughs> I got a giants of social media get you <laughs> that's so true um so this is our final question
1: of the whole mini so i'm pretty sad um but what i'd love to know across everything we've talked about and um, what do you think is the biggest issue standing in the way of our author well-being and what is your number one piece of advice for combating this Nice big question there. <laughs>
2: Just to finish that, I mean, a little yeah, easy one for you. Yeah, no, I was thinking about this. And I think I, if I maybe summarised it in a nutshell, I would say it's the principle of taking charge, actually. And I think that covers an awful lot. I think it covers this idea of being assertive in our careers so that like we're saying not just at the mercy of the publishing industry but think about you know what can i do what do i want to speak up to have a plan b to be proactively working on things you know if your publicist hasn't got great publicity events organize your own you know whatever it might be so i think being assertive in our careers taking charge in terms of things like the boundaries that we've just talked about you know like Take charge in terms of, you know, my my time that I shut off from activities or, you know, time that you know, turning off notifications, this kind of thing, you know, take charge of your, your boundaries around your your working life as an author taking charge in terms of the psychological biases and quirks that we've talked about, being, hopefully you've learned a little bit more about how our brains work and that using that knowledge really well, taking charge by saying things like, okay, if I know that my brain operates this way naturally, let me take charge of that bias and proactively do things which will steer my brain in the opposite direction. So being savvy about how our brains work and um, taking charge in that way. And yeah, I think, again, connected with that, looking at these, any behaviors that we do around our writing, or more generally, ask yourself that question, what am I wanting to get out of this? Is that what I'm getting? Is it making me feel better or worse? And from that, taking charge of that behavior, saying this is something I want to continue to do or not, you know, like, is this person that I discuss my writing with, when I discuss it with them, do they make me feel better about it? Or make me feel worse? You know, and and then take charge, you know. So, knowledge is power, and then take charge, basically.
0: <laughs> well, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, Philippa, for doing these minisodes. It's uh, it's really quite sad that they've come to an end, but I'm sure our listeners and viewers will have found them incredibly useful. I know I certainly have, and I'm sure Lauren has as well. And I shall be listening to them all on playback and uh, gaining lots of information and advice from them. Um, But remember uh, everybody that Philippa isn't just a brilliant clinical psychologist, she also writes brilliant novels and uh, she really you know puts the psychological into psychological suspense. And uh, you can find a link to both of her novels, Little White Lies and Safe and Sound in the description under the podcast and do check them out please as they are absolutely fabulous and uh, thank you so much philippa for giving us so much of your time over these last weeks we've really loved speaking to you thank you You're so welcome yes we
1: absolutely have and there's so much that i am going to take away personally from these episodes so thank you very much
0: so that leaves us with our very last task of saying goodbye from philippa goodbye goodbye from me And goodbye from them.